Welcome to the show and the new format. This is Darren Kaplan. We are with IBM Expert TV and we're with our new show host. We've got Laura Adele, Microsoft. Hi, Darren Kaplan. <laughs> Hello, Laura. I'm so happy you're part of the show. Aaron Bromick, IBM. And hey, we Darren. have a packed show. And then as we'll start doing, first, we're going to have quick Laura give a quick shout on where she is, what she's doing. Aaron, we want you to go next. Then we're going to start with the show theme of we plan the world laughs. I mean, Larry, we plan the world laughs. So, Laura, good to see you. Well, why don't you tell everybody who you are and then Aaron will go to you. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I am Laura Dell. I'm the chief data scientist on the AI sustainability team, or at least formerly. And so with the whole we plan and then the world laughs, I think is a great topic because my org was just reorged. That's sort of the reality of the world today. And so I'm so excited to see you, Darren, and to meet you, Aaron, as well. And so thank you for inviting me here. Of course. Um, Aaron. Hey, thank you again, Darren, for uh, making me part of this esteemed conversation. So I run uh, design, product design for IBM software, specifically the hybrid cloud, multi-cloud as a service in AI. It's a big world we live in. And uh, hey, a lot of things are going on in this world and I'm ready to use design and design thinking as a way to shape our world. So that's where, that's what brings me here. Well, and in our pre-show, we were talking about, you know, does, does software eat the world? I don't know. It sounds like design eats the world. So (laughs) excited to have Aaron on here. So we have a pack show. We wanted to be thoughtful about what the three of us want to share our thoughts on. And coming into the show, we came up with the theme of of we plan the world laughs. And and I was thinking about that. Think about we we all have a family member, an uncle, a cousin, a sister. On on the lowest lying food, they're going to plan a dinner. Maybe that dinner's their anniversary dinner. Maybe they're planning a trip. We've all had trips. Maybe it's the honeymoon. And maybe we want to go to that big business meeting. Things that we prepare for. And guess what happens? The weather <laughs> happens. You know, like think about that. The person who is that dream trip to go to Disney and it rains five days. Mm-hmm. So we plan, everyone laughs. But what I've thought about and what I like about today's conversation is I wanted to finish that sentence. Like we plan, the world laughs. Well, what do we do then next? Do we mm-hmm. get angry? Do we laugh back? Do we shut down? Like we still have to move. And what I love about what we are as a human civilization is I believe most of us laugh back. What are you going to do? And it's bad that night when it rains, but you look back and it was a great time. And so when I think about this, this theme and I'm thinking about we plan first, one thing that's important to all of us is the future of work and, and definitely women in tech. And now I'm also reading about, you know, based on the pandemic, how many people, I think it was, I read something in McKinsey about 560,000, 560,000 people dropped out of college last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Mixed income, not just wealthy, not just poor. And then I'm thinking about all the work that Laura's done and IBM has done, of course, Microsoft has done about women in stack. So Laura, I mean, just riff with me on this. I mean, we wanted people to get an education. Now they're not Mm -hmm. getting an education or do they need the education? Do we need, I mean, Mm -hmm. walk me through this. No, it's crazy. I mean, I think Alanis Morissette saying it best and isn't that ironic, you know, you can have the best (laughs) plans. And, you know, it's just the fly in your Chardonnay, as she said. So I think this whole idea of seeing how retention has, um, you know, really affected the college is really heartbreaking to me because on one hand, you know, I'm a big believer that 
You know, I get asked all the time, do I have to have a PhD if I'm going to be a data scientist? And resoundingly, I tell people, no, if you are very good at math, if you have a passion in math and you're beginning, you know, your education, there's places you can start and work your way up. And you don't necessarily have to get there if that's not on your horizon. There's so much you can do in the span of what encompasses data science. But what can we do? You know, I look at the the life and my own life and all the changes that have happened. And it's about resiliency. If we are going to bounce back from the pandemic, if we are students who have dropped out for our gap here, it's about learning in that time, being resilient and coming back. You know, we can always, you know, fall off the horse or step off the horse and walk away, but it's about coming back and coming back as there's never really a timeline to that. It's just a matter of doing it. Yeah, I think they were robbed of this education. Some of them, whether it be going into debt or just the experience of networking or connecting. Um, but I also think there, there's a there. So yeah, are you going to cry? Are you going to just like smile? I don't know, Aaron, like, yeah, break it up, Aaron. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that um, I think we can look at this problem a little differently. Um, yes, you know, when life gives you lemons, exactly. you make lemonade, right? So the question is, do we really need to have formal education to yeah. be successful? In a, in a, let's say, corporate world. Mm. And I think there's two schools of thought, right? You need the, the academic training. You need the proficiency to, to succeed. But I feel like in this advent of knowledge-based information sort of centers that we have, you can get knowledge as and when you need it. So if you have the drive, you'll get the knowledge. And if you get the knowledge and you can show it, the world opens up for you. So... Do we really need to have college degrees? It definitely helps. But I think in the next five, seven years, we'll see a shift. I'll just give you one example. Mm. At IBM and, and many such companies, I'm sure Microsoft does that too. There's a P-Tech program, right? It's for underserved communities to get them to technical acumen and business expertise from high schoolers, right? So you train them, bring them into the corporate world, you know, mentor them out. And over time, they are great, great employees who can add a lot of value. So the question is, do we really need formal education? Such a good point. You know, I think that I've had that same argument with so many people. And Aaron, I couldn't agree more. You know, Elon Musk said, if you can build a neural network, then you don't need a PhD. Hard stuff, nothing else. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't agree more. I myself don't have a PhD. And so, you know, I've made a hard and fast decision to stop that I don't need it. And so I do agree. I think we're going to see the advent of the degree driving your, you know, ability to get a job going away in the very near future. Well, I I think the next one on this, that what I, as I dig into the numbers of the the people that stayed into schools, let's say there's people that dropped out, the people that stayed in school, majority of them are female. So this is also that reverse trend. If you go back years, it was like the males, the men had the education. You're. Darren. Darren, I think we lost you. You plan. God laughs. Right. Okay. It's true. All right. All right. So we're what's, gonna... the, what's the actual term here? Something like man proposes and God disposes or something like that? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I keep a tidy place, but all right. Well, we're going to shoot from my, uh, underneath my, by my couch. Hold on. Okay. Um, all right, let's, I say we just pick it up. We'll keep editing. All right, um, and we're recording. Okay. Um, so what we were talking about before was the, it was irony. We plan, 
oh, we've been planning this show. <laughs> we have been planning this show. So different background. You know, the world is laughing, but hey, it doesn't get us down. And Laura, just to pick it up from the last thread, we were talking about how it seems like more men are dropping out versus women. And then if you think back, it's kind of like, does the world repeat itself where now more women are going to have these diplomas and will that get them a better shot at, at an employment? I mean, there's so many unknowns. So I just didn't know if you wanted to pick up that thread again on women who now will probably have more degrees than men. You know, I wonder how much of it is that they've been told, you know, they have to have this. And it's something that, you know, a lot of the women I mentor have an expectation in coming up, you know, with it. I'm not saying that men don't, but, you know, I'd have to really dig in to see, you know, I didn't realize that more men are dropping out. I think that's really interesting because I know a ton of women that have, you know, gotten their sprinter vans and are now off on their gap year (laughs) and having this like living the life. And so I I have to do more digging, to be honest with you. Very interesting statistic, though. Yeah, well, sure. And Aaron, I don't know if you have anything you want to chime in on that, on just men versus women education, degreed. You know, it's it's strange because, uh, like Laura, I'm a little bit surprised as well, um, because historical data would suggest otherwise. So if it if it is true, then it's a good thing. Right. I think we need more women in tech in general. And the more we can have them in the space, the better off mm-hmm. we are. But I'll just relate it back to design again. In the proficiency of design, I wouldn't say that in general, we tend to have a more diverse population, okay. not just in terms of gender, but also expertise, experiences, cultural norms and such. So I'm, I'm seeing um, literally a, a drop off in the available candidate pool in terms of people graduating, but I don't see a disparity yet between gender okay. yet. I think mm. you know, staying on that, that design theme, um, you, lead, I mean, you lead a big part of that organization Laura is in AI, but leads a big part of an organization. We have a remote world. Today also, I believe, was also a big day for California. Aaron, you sitting in California. I think there's no masks anymore, right? I'm not saying that people's going to come back, but now how are you doing design in a remote world? Let, I mean, let's take the mask like in a meeting and out, but like, how, how are you able to rethink design? How are you re- able to rethink team meetings with people remote coming into the office or just like Laura said, getting on, getting in a car and just exploring the world and dialing in. How are you dealing with design? Laura said something previously, which I thought was interesting, is about being resilient. And I yeah. think uh, the designers have been pretty resilient in taking the problem and iterating on the solution to this problem. So designers are very much, I want to say, analog in parts, but they love whiteboards, they love okay. the sticky notes and whatnot, right? So what do you do when COVID hits? Right. We're all alone, you know, in our, in our rooms. So we've leveraged a lot of the, I want to say, the software-based advancements in collaboration technology. We've used things like murals. Mm-hmm. Yep. We can come in and we have used Slack. We've used other mechanisms. And, and teams, to be honest, and teams. And teams, yes, and teams. <laughs> it's okay, and, thank and, you for that. <laughs> uh, and, and these tools have actually gotten better. Um, it's a radical digitization that has just happened, right? Where only a few are using, now it's just the whole world is using. And design has adapted quite well. The only thing though we miss out is um, design is also inherently very social. Yes. So while you can get the work done, uh, there is some element of mental health and you know just being right. with each other in a, in a coffee house setting right. or in, in, right. in the lab makes a lot of difference. So that's the part that I don't think we have a solution to yet. Now, how many how many miles have you flown last year 
versus three years ago? I, I mean, are you do you even have status anymore? No, my status has dropped already, which I, I'm not not worried about that part. <laughs> but. <so> uh, <laughs> And yeah, Laura, what about, about you? I mean, I know I had literally travel, just right? come <laughs> off. No, I literally just come off of a plane from a world trip that I had been to 20 countries helping to do these open hacks that we were doing, That's came awesome. back from Australia on February 28th of 2020. And boom, we were in, you know, the, the quarantine. Right. And so I, yeah, I was 125,000 miles for the last few years. And now it went down <laughs> to, I think I flew one trip. Oh my um, I just came back from my second trip. So yes, Crazy. status. I actually missed my status. <laughs> I know it is. It is. It is crazy. And we, we still get to meet the people, right? And that's one of the things that we were thinking about on 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 how we're resilient and mm-hmm. like we're still doing meetings, but it is interesting. And then I- Oh no, I just flew to meet my team. That's why I went, because because now our team got real. I just went to meet Gretchen, who is my former boss and all of my teammates. Cause I'm like, listen, crazy. we may have been reorg, but for two years we've been working together. I'm meeting you face-to-face. Gotta have some drinks. Gotta just, you know, have a moment together to sit down, break some bread yep. and say, hey, we met yep. each other. And, and it, one thing I remember also is that it's really, really hard for new hires, much harder. Big time. Because it's not just a matter of getting used to the environment. You need to get used to the cultural norms. And it's really, really hard. I just went down to Austin a couple of uh, weeks ago, my first trip this year, uh, to one of our design studios. And I met some of our new hires that we hired a year and a half ago for the first time face-to-face. So, yeah, I I think there is an element of face-to-face that is just so essential. Yeah. now, when you when you went there, Aaron, did you actually suit up or were you as casual? And Laura, same question to you. I mean, because we're used to wearing different clothing at home. So when you showed up, did you show up in like Birkenstocks and, and shorts or did you have to put the, uh, the the Brooks Brothers shirt on or the Ralph Lauren shirt on? Like, what did you have to wear? See, I, I'm in general a little bit on the casual side, so I was being myself. And design gets away with it because you know uh, it's design. Um, uh, so I, I've been myself pretty much. Okay. And so, I definitely was not wearing yoga pants and UGGs on the bottom right. portion, and then suit on the top. You know that I've gotten used to in right. this last two years. You know, it, it's funny you say that. As I'm trying to get this camera right, is that I've started doing some business travel, and I'm. Um, I'm going back to the dry cleaner. I haven't been to the dry, you know, we all have a dry cleaner. I haven't been back. And I was speaking to the dry cleaner actually this morning yeah. and he was saying, I was like, Hey, can I, I have a last minute trip. Can I get this back tomorrow? I mean, we've all done that as business yeah, professionals. He's like, actually we've changed our business. We only like, we're open seven days a week, but we only, only wash like three days a week. Like there's just no demand. And, you know, I, I want that business to come back, but it was just, um, yeah, I just thought things that you we take for granted, right? Yeah. Um, I press my own clothes to everyone. I don't always go to the dry cleaner, <laughs> but there's just times where I just need it a little bit more professionally done. But it was interesting to see that. Um, and, you see uh, it a lot if you, um, so I fly American Airlines and what I've learned is they retired uh, huge chunks of their line. So they're, they're A300s and you know, they're okay. 777s because of fuel. And what that means is they cut out a ton of pilots and routes. And so what's happening is, is you're having this shortage of enough folks to cover you know, the flights. And right. so I've now been, of my three flights, two to Chicago, one to Seattle, all three of them had a canceled leg in them, you know, not weather related, having to do, you know, with, with staffing. And I thought that was really curious because, 
other airlines I didn't see so much impact yeah. from. And so I'm curious if you know anything in your travels. I don't know who you fly on, but if you've noticed anything getting back into the yeah. swing of traveling that you notice is different. Um, Aaron, well, you take that first. Yeah, not on the travel side, but I do notice that they are a little bit more prepared now. Uh, there's mm. some contingencies built in, which we never had. But I do see it in the, I want to say the food industry. So if you think about a couple of years ago, we're all at home um, and we wanted to grab some food and we can go to restaurants. So what do you do? You order, try to order out. Uh, an example was uh, McDonald's. Now, I don't know how long was the last time you guys went, but occasionally I can get away from its price. I've, I've been there. Um, and the story I know of is a real story is that all of a sudden, the number of people coming in on drive through is just quadrupled, just 10x. And, and the people serving and taking the orders were overwhelmed. You, you can't support that. So, Laura, knowing your expertise, I think one of the things I that really encouraged me is how AI can help in that. So mm -hmm. there is this um, you know, AI based system that IBM is also working on. They have a technology wherein you can take self-service orders, NLP-based. Cool. It interacts with you, confirms mm -hmm. the order, and it goes to the preparer. So Absolutely. I think that's the advantage of when, when you say we have rethought how life works, these things are going to make us a little bit yeah. better as we come around. And, oh, and, and I couldn't agree more with you. And, and they, there's... There's a good and a bad there. Um, yep. That is a beautiful thing that is coming out of COVID is that automated of work. Yep. But yeah, it does bum me out because those jobs are not being replaced. But I went to, uh, I'm in Florida and I went to an ice cream shop and the ice cream shop now has a kiosk and you just yep. order the ice cream and it goes to the ice cream maker. So again, that's one less job. Like they don't have a cashier anymore. But Laura, I don't know if you want to pick that up anywhere, what you're seeing. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're at the tip of the iceberg on so many cool things, but take this wherever you want yeah. to go with AI. Or so the companies that I've seen that are really rocking it are those that, yes, they have implemented and adopted AI to help their business processes. Because frankly, that's been the gap. You can have AI over here doing some cool stuff, okay. but until you integrate it into your business process and it becomes yeah. germane to what you do, much like formulas are in Excel, it's not going to yep. meaningfully change your business. This thing should be ubiquitous. We don't think about it. It's just happening behind the scenes to help us. The companies that have really understood and embraced that have early on started to retrain their workforce and started to bring in other techniques and, and ways in which they could take them. I won't name the name, but you know, an energy company that I was working with you know, early on saw as we start to shut down or transform our plants and maybe start to have more AI driving some of the yep. decisions about when we spin up and spin down plants, that's going to leave us, you know, our, you know, our total um, workforce in a shortfall and they're not going to have any roles. And they very early on said, let's retrain them. We're going to need people that are going to need to maintain the algorithms. How do we grow and change them? Can we yep. teach them more of the ML operationalization of these things to make sure that they're a steady stream online all the time? And I loved that. So to me, the companies that are not going to be the blockbusters of the past and are going to be the Netflixes of the future are the ones who get that they need to just not think about it so short-sightedly, but think yeah. it more broadly on how they can take that workforce and reskill them in other areas. So the reskilling part is spot on. Um, you know, we, we have this conversation all the, all the time around what is automation going to do? Will it take away jobs? What is AI going to do? Will it take away jobs? If you just think of it as a binary question, we probably might be, mm, yeah, probably. But if you rethink the problem and say, no, wait, the, the, the time saved from these specific tasks in your business process execution, retrain your workforce, 
to do something more smarter, more intellectually stimulating, perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. Take out the mundane and replace it with more interesting work. So I feel like, as Laura said, companies that employ AI efficiently are going to be better off than those. That's the simple truth. Yeah. One of the things, and Laura, I wanted to get your opinion on this as we look at some of the the, um, the supply shortages of chips. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does that impact like AI? Because where I'm reading it is um, a lot of the car manufacturers are rethinking their autonomous vehicles because of the hardware. So does that happen both hardware software? Can you walk us or people that maybe not might be following the, the cascading effect of chips? Because all we're seeing is go to a car dealership. There's no cars because of chips. Go get a refrigerator. Good luck. There's no refrigerator because of chips. But can you maybe right. walk us through also things that you're seeing? And then maybe even for you, Aaron, if there's a product solution to no chips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think the more you think about the advancements we're making in the software side of AI, really, it, these algorithms have been around for a while. It's okay. just the advancement in the, the hardware and the ability to serve them up, having the power of the cloud. You know, some of these things that we didn't have in the past that are making these algorithms seem new. They're they're rebirthing them, if you will. But the chip shortage is a real thing. If I look at, you know, the more advances, so let's say as we move into quantum computing and the requirements around that, or even something called, you know, an FPGA, which is really just this field programmable, let's just say array. When you start to limit yourself in the chips, well, you then start to cut down some of the cool and advancements we've been making. And so to me, you know, I don't have the right answer for it. And I'm really keen to see, you know, what Aaron has to say around this coming from where he comes from. But yeah, it, it is one of those things that's going to hinder us tremendously as we try to roll out the advancements that we want to see in AI. You know, I would I would say that one of the direct implications of the chip shortage is in the access to our Mac laptops and other such laptops that used advanced processors and such. So all our designers are complaining. They're not getting the real you know, high-end machines because it's not available, right? So it's affecting their work and productivity and so on and so forth. Um, The other part is we all talk about um, a world, a sustainable world, um, you know, lack of of carbon emission and such standards that we're going to push through, right? And a lot of it is a banking on, you know, EV vehicles, for example. But look at the market right now. Can you buy a car? It's hard to buy a car. And so the chip shortage part is true and it has so many implications. It's going to delay a lot. But at the same time, I want to say that this is where hopefully the service design thinkers across the world can come together and look at the different touch points and and solve this problem, right? It can be solved, I'm sure. We have to just put our minds to it. Um, uh, One thing I thought about just on the context, not on chip, was when we think about the service design part, right? if you recall nowadays, for those who have kids and or have got school-going children, and when you take a trip outside or you need to get back to school, you need a proof of antigen tests. And what do you do? You know, you take a swab and, and get the, the the thing, take a picture of it, send it out. How inefficient is the problem? Until someone like Q Health, I don't know whether you tried their product, they came in and they say, you know what, we can digitize this. We can create a small hub. You know, it's wirelessly connected to an app. You put your sample in, it detects it and pushes the data right up. So if we can solve problems like this, which is so new in such a short time, the chip shortage problem, I'm gonna guess is solvable. I, I wanna throw a wild card mm-hmm. about what you just said because that goes to AI ethics, AI responsibility, 
Um, I, I think I'm all for it. If I, I want to still do the leap of faith that you're going to trust my data. And, and Laura, I don't know if you want to pick this up, but I think with great power comes great responsibility, yeah. right? So yes, Absolutely. I think the tech is there. Um, and I still think there's like a small set that will complain like, no, you can't have my data. There's going to be the other set that Definitely. I am on the far right. That's like, take my data, make the world better. Uh, Laura, what are you seeing as far as guide rails on ethics, um, policies, um, like, you know, anything, anything that you want to share? I think there's a lack thereof. And in lack thereof, you know, I want to see a world where I can sell my medical data or my records myself. I want to be, you know, the warden of my information, not somebody else that can take my terms and conditions and do something with it. So I think to the point of the app, do I trust it? No. If is this, you know, something that's on the blockchain that's transactional that I know is going to be in in a governed body that is third party, you know, we we're getting there. We're just not there yet. And right. so when it comes to healthcare data, I absolutely agree and and many sets of data that we are working towards it. We have not solved it, but by the right brains to Aaron's point coming together, this is something that we're going to see in a yeah. very short term order happening. Yeah. And Aaron, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Aaron, you know, just you you brought so it up. It, you you brought up that hornet's yeah, yeah. nest. So we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I, I, like I did. You know, there's the there's the data privacy part. There's transparency. There's fairness. There's there's explainability and all of that connected, right? Um, but if if our absolute truth is we are trying to come up with innovation that helps humans, right. then all we need to do is figure out the inputs and outputs and guard them. And it can be done. It really, really can be done. So in this case of data, I mean, do we really have to pass data as is, or can we just you know, encrypted, anonymized, just get the bare essentials needed. We can get the job done. But yeah. this is also a problem that is far from being solved. Um, right. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to customers all the time, Laura, I'm yeah. sure you do too. There are very different stages on AI adoption. And one of the main problems yes. is trust. Trust. Time. Yeah. yeah. I well, speaking about trust, I trust our audience will enjoy the two type of clips because this is such a funny themed show. I mean, again, we plan the world laughs. We started the show with one type of audio setting. I had to change. Laura changed. Um, Aaron, the, the Mr. Product Design is the only one that has been in a stable state. I just, however you're running it, we're going to learn from Aaron. Yeah. One computer. Just get it. Right. Uh, so again, this is part of the IBM Expert TV. We've got Laura Adele, who's with us from Microsoft. We've got Aaron Broadwick, who's with us from IBM. Um, we're going to be sharing uh, more episodes. This is our new format where we're trying to be thoughtful and kind of weave in both AI and product as it relates to current events. Um, these are our co-hosts, and we really want to bring some passion and education around what we see to everyone. And uh, hit us up on uh, on all the channels as we kind of mix this around on both TikTok, Spotify, Expert TV. We'll be all over the place. Laura, Aaron, thank you so much for hanging with us. And uh, we'll, be, we'll see you on the next show, show number two. Sounds great. It was so lovely meeting you, Aaron. Same here. Yeah. Looking forward Same. to it.